Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop and publish new and exciting board games. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. Hello everyone and Happy New Year! Today we have January the 2nd and I have a special guest today. It is my co-designer and friend Christian Kudal. Hi Christian and welcome to the show again. Hi Marvin, thanks a lot and Happy New Year! It's not your first appearance here, um, but I'm happy to have you back. And today we want to yeah, look back uh, at the year 2022 and reflect a little bit on our very first Kickstarter campaign for the game Mindbug. Um, yeah, so for those of you who may not know, uh, Mindbug was um, a project that um, Christian and I started in yeah, maybe 2020 or so. I and, think so. Yeah, and it was funded on Kickstarter on 2021. And yeah, for us, the Kickstarter campaign was a huge success with raising almost $400,000 from more than 10,000 backers all over the world. And yeah, this was way more than we anticipated back then, right? Yeah, we should probably also mention along the way, uh, Richard Garfield and Scaff Elias joined us as uh, game designers. And these two old guys have like all that experience back from doing Magic the Gathering from the very old days. So it was an incredible addition to the game to have this extra manpower. Absolutely. And it was a dream for, for us to, yeah, to be able to work with them and um, yeah, to turn this, uh, let's say, hobby and this hobby podcast into, yeah, into something real, into a game we are publishing, into um, yeah, founding this publishing company and yeah, spend the entire year 2022 on yeah, designing, producing and then later fulfilling Mindbug. That was an awesome journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Unfortunately for, for me personal, this uh, successful Kickstarter campaign also led to a little bit of a shift in priorities. Um, and yeah, I no longer had as much time as before, um, especially not for the podcast. So um, I wasn't able to record an episode every week. Uh, I actually, yeah, it, it took a longer break from the podcast, but um I, I'm still super grateful for um, for all the support from 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 the listeners that I got from doing this doing this entire journey because um, they helped tremendously to make this Kickstarter campaign um, a success and that's basically also the let's say the first point we want to talk about or the first topic we want to talk about today because we want to um, talk a little bit about what went well in the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, but also maybe towards the end of the podcast, also some things we could have improved upon. And the first topic that we think went pretty well is that we had a very strong start um, with the Kickstarter campaign. So a lot of backers supported us in the very first minutes and hours so that we reached our funding goal after a few minutes, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. And maybe we even have to dial back a little bit and then try and think about the uh... Like, why were all these people already ready to click the button when the campaign launched? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one aspect was 
uh, was the the podcast audience. So a lot of people followed uh, followed um, through the journey of creating the game. We reported a little bit on the podcast about it before and asked them to support us. Um, and um, a lot of a lot of you did. A lot of you did. And um, also the same for the people that we collected on uh, on the newsletter list. A lot of them really. Um, followed our call to support us early on, and that gave us a, a very good start. But that was not the only thing. So maybe, Christian, you can tell us a little bit about um, what we, what else we did before uh, launching the game. Yeah, sure. So we the game spent quite a while in development. We were like tweaking a bit with cards, uh, playing around, trying new stuff. And then in like August 2021, we were like, do we want to go to Essen? Uh, and I was like, yeah, sure, it would be fun to go there, be able to show the game before the Kickstarter release. And then for some reason we started discussing, could we actually release the game at Essen? And remember, this was in August, so it was like, uh, it's quite a tight time frame if you are familiar with the industry. You know, many games are printed in China and go over on a slow boat. So it's uh, it, it usually takes a while uh, But somehow, I have no idea how, Marvin, but you made this happen so that we actually had the game ready for a release in uh, in Germany in Essenspiel. Yeah, it was it definitely was a challenge, what but it was it was worth it. So we went there with I don't know a thousand copies or so of the game, and we talked to so many um, content producers before we went there. So we we wrote emails to um, a lot of YouTubers, Instagram. Um, people and yeah we asked them to come and uh, visit us at the booth um and show them the game there and and, and maybe and for us have... for us having this uh, kind of extremely tight deadline gave us the kick in the butt that we needed to sort of finish everything cross all the t's dot the i's get the stuff printed and uh, yeah get everything ready for the fair because it's a very hard deadline and it's not so fun to tell everyone you have a game there for sale and then show up and not have it Yeah, and that's something that also I think Richard or Skeff mentioned in one of our sessions. Uh, that I mean, we four at Game Design we could probably talk for infinite uh, about <laughs> one uh, word on on one specific card. So if we wouldn't have had a deadline, a specific deadline, we probably would still talk about the wording of one of those cards. Yeah, it's probably true. Um, yeah, but that um, that gave us a huge. Um, a huge kick for the Kickstarter campaign because we had like thousand games out there in the wild. A lot of the content producers talked about us. They liked the game. Um, and yeah, we encouraged the people who already bought the game to come back to Kickstarter and help us to yeah spread the word and bring the game to even more people. And I think a lot of those um, first customers came back to help us in, on Kickstarter And helped us to yeah to be um, very present in the very first hours, um, and that helped us again to um, be picked up by Kickstarter. Um, they put us to the front page, um, and we got featured by them, and all of that really helped to to run a successful campaign. I think. Yeah, I think it's um, it's an unusual strategy to print a small batch and release that at Essen. Um, so our thought train of thought was. Like we are a quite small company, uh, not a lot of people have heard about not like games or Mindbug before, uh, but we were extremely satisfied with the game and very proud of the gameplay. 
So we figured if we could just get into it into as many people's hands as possible, they would start talking about it and drum up that little bit of hype that we needed to get a good start. And for us, that worked. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also having Richard Garfield as a name on the box and on board for the game design also helped, of course, to um, yeah get the attention of uh, the right people. It definitely did. It, uh, I remember standing then Essen uh, asking some customers that came to us, okay, so why did, how did you discover this game? How did you see it? And a bunch of them said, oh, we saw it was a new Richard Garfield game, so we wanted to check it out. So apart from contributing to, I mean, designing the game, of course, it also helps to have a name attached to it that people know and that they like. Yeah, and absolutely. What I, The advice here for someone who wants to run their own Kickstarter campaign is spend a lot of time in the pre-marketing. Get, get a crowd that supports you, raving fans that help you to... Um, to have, have a very good start with your product in the beginning because that will get the attention from, from others and then can help you to snowball. And it can be a lot of work. So I, I remember I've been sitting there until two or three in the night writing emails um, to to new yeah, content producers I've never talked to before. So um, it, it it costs a lot of effort to do it, but it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, one advantage we had was also it, this was a very small game. So the box was small and it was not super expensive to produce. So basically, we gave it out, out to everyone who was willing to review it, like on the YouTube channel or write a review on Board Game Geek or anything like that. Um, so we really tried aggressively to approach these content creators. Yeah, and it turned out, it turned out to be to be a, a good strategy, at least for us. Yes. Yeah. Um, something else that went, since you are all, already talking about the marketing aspect, something that also went worked pretty well were um, kind of giveaways on social media, um, like Instagram, for example, where people could, um, I don't know, leave a comment or so and, um, and, and get a game for free. There are some um, content producers who are doing these giveaways. And for us, it basically doesn't cost a lot. We just had to donate a game and send the game to the winner. Um, But this could this sometimes led to two, three hundred new um, followers on Instagram um, for our campaign for our um, channel. So I think that was also a very viable strategy. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll have to remember to do that again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So um, the the next aspect of the campaign that we think went quite good is. Um, or that we at least enjoyed a lot was the interaction with our backers during the campaign. So we were running um, a lot of competitions. Um, you were able to propose creature types. Um, we were running votings for artworks, different polls about creature uh, names. And it was super cool to see the creative ideas our backers came up with. and also um yeah gave us the the 
feeling that the people were really involved in the campaign and they had a good reason to come back every day and uh, check for the new votings and whether their proposed name has been chosen. And we still get feedback from people, for example, um, at the booth in Essen this year, someone came and told me, oh, I'm so happy that my uh, name proposal was chosen for the um, for the final card. Oh, nice. I didn't hear that. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a really cool thing to somehow involve the people into the design process of the game and that helped us a lot this was like by far the most fun process of the kickstarter and i was so impressed by the stuff that the community came up with i mean it's just a bunch of creative people and suggesting different names and voting and stuff it uh, i think something really amazing came out of it that us four could not have created on our own Absolutely, absolutely. And um, maybe here's a little advice uh, uh, for you if you want to run a campaign. So in the beginning, we used like um, Google polls for um, for the polls and we wanted it to make it as simple as possible for people to participate. So we didn't uh, um, ask them to add an email address, for example. So uh, as a result, people were able to uh, vote multiple times and that some people were angry about that. Um, and of course, it's not the best way to do it. So um, we changed that process during the campaign and um, did the, the rest of the polls on BoardGameGeek. And that was a, was very successful for us because it um, directed redirected a lot of the traffic from our Kickstarter page to our board game geek page, and um, people of course needed a an account there, so they could only vote once. But um, it also helped to have traffic traffic on our board game geek site, which helped us to get into the hotness list, which was um, also very helpful to get yeah to 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 attract new people who hadn't heard about the game before. So that was one of the strategies that I thought, well, I think were quite helpful as well. for the Yeah, it's also fun to have more uh, more activity on the Bot Game Geek page, people talking about the game, discussing, uh, and it helps people discover the game. I think one tricky part about doing this community interaction is uh, the timing aspect. So like for, for one of the cards, we had the community... Uh, Like come up with the the artwork for the card, um, like I think for the hyenix, so the hyena and phoenix combined, which is a really cool idea. It's a card that comes back from the dead. The community came up with the artwork, but uh, that of course means that you have to produce that artwork at that point. Um, so if you have a quite tight uh, like timing schedule, this can delay you a little bit or depending on how fast your artist is. So for a lot of Kickstarter games, you have all the artwork produced before the Kickstarter. But with this type of community interaction, you can't really do that. Yeah, that's true. We are lucky to have a, a great illustrator who um, yeah, we informed before, um, before the campaign that we want to do that with our community. And he agreed to, um, to do that. And he also um, blocked some time in his schedule so that he would be able to um, yeah, do multiple runs um, or an entire art batch during the campaign for us. Yeah, that was really cool of him. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what else went well? Um, I would say that the overall communication with the backers um, was was very good throughout all the channels. So um, we were um, 
definitely surprised with the with the amount of feedback we received with the amount of comments direct messages uh, instagram messages emails discord messages and so on um but we tried our very best to um to answer all of those messages in time um to write campaign updates every night and um I think we did a, we did a good job. Sometimes we missed a message or so or a comment, and we apologize for that. But um, we we really tried our very best to to answer all of that. And this type of stuff can be tricky, you know, when your campaign is suddenly a lot more active than you thought. Um, because at this point, we all also had you know other jobs that we had to uh, tend to. But really, staying sort of on top of the communication, uh, like helping set the narrative in your campaign can really help a campaign, you know, not spiral out of control if there's some small negative thing uh, that, that, that you take care of that and sort of stay on top of it and answer the questions that people have. It's uh, it's pretty important. Yeah, and um, back then we didn't have so many super fans of the game that could help us with that. So nowadays, if someone has a rules question on Discord, for example, there's probably one of our fans there that can answer that question. But back then, it was almost, let's say, new for all of the backers. So uh, we had most of the answers have been um, yeah, done by um, three people in our team. Yeah, So I think that was, uh, nevertheless, it was quite good. And um, yeah, for the future, we will definitely dedicate uh, enough people to answer all those questions yeah another thing uh, you talked about super fans so in the campaign one uh, guy really liked the game and actually made his own digital implementation of the game with online play and everything um, and of course we thought this was incredibly cool so now we could suddenly uh, play mindbug rules enforced against each other digitally um, and we actually used that to, to playtest a bunch and do some rapid iterations of the the final Kickstarter cards, which ended up changing quite a bit because of that. So I think that really helped improve the, the quality of the game. And this was because of this one fan, Roman, who is now uh, working with us. Yeah, um, this it it blew our mind when we when we saw what he already uh, implemented in his uh, in his spare time, and it helped us uh, yeah so much. Um, and um, yeah, since we were already working on a digital implementation for Mindbug ourselves back then, um, yeah, we decided to join forces, and he's now a valuable member of that team. And um, is there anything else um, that you would like to mention, Christian, that went well during the campaign? Uh, I mean, this may be a bit after the campaign, but something really cool that came out of it is a super active Mindbug Discord community. So uh, so for those who don't know, there's a Discord channel for the game and lots of people discussing every day. You can ask rules questions or some people post pictures of that they made a cool wooden box for the game themselves or Mindbug figures or Mindbug poster. Some come up with custom cards. We even have a Discord bot for that. And like share thoughts on how do you design cards and uh, okay if I had done that card I would change so and so. I really enjoy discussing with the people coming up with with their own cards and uh, giving them feedback on like what is really cool uh, idea for cards. So uh, so if you're interested in Mindbug, I would highly encourage you to join that Discord server. 
Uh, Marvin, how do you? Is there an easy way to find the Discord server? I recall we've not been super good at advertising it. <laughs> um, so there will be a link in the show notes, um, so you can click on that. I actually, to be honest, I have no clue how you how you search on Discord for for a server. I've always only I, I always use a, a link to to the servers, so um, you can find it on our website, and we will definitely put it into the show notes. But it's not even super easy to find on the website, is it? Maybe we have to make a note to make that a bit more visible. Yeah, then we should work on that. Um, I think it is somewhere on the bottom of the site or so. Um, Otherwise, we will try to make sure it's there when you're listening to this. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so join us there. It's the best way to get in touch with the community. Um, okay, so now let's come to the... Yeah, let's say the pain points. So, <laughs> oh no! Uh, yeah, now it's not. Uh, <laughs> we are not just talking about the good things. Um, we will also mention about uh, mention the yeah the challenges we, we we are faced during the campaign and after the campaign. And um, I think that's very important because we of course want to um, want to run uh, campaigns in the future again, and we want to learn from what yeah maybe didn't go as planned. So. The first topic to mention here is the delivery time and the fulfillment in general. So to be honest, um, we are quite happy with the timing of our deliveries in Europe. Um, we were a little later than we had hoped um, and a little bit later than we announced, but not not much, maybe a few weeks or so. Um, I think we even started in the to ship out the first games in the months that we mentioned on Kickstarter. But um, for the rest of the world, unfortunately, uh, it do didn't look so good. Um, we had long waiting times at the ports uh, because some customs declarations uh, were missing and some delays in the supply chain so that the manufacturing could happen a little bit later. Um, And there were some resource bottlenecks, production problems, and even natural disasters in the end where we had a hurricane in Florida um, and other unforeseen things. So um, all this is very difficult to predict and plan for. Um, yeah, overall, in most of the cases, I'm, I'm still yeah, satisfied with how we and our partners responded to solve those problems. But... Um, For the future, I would probably plan with a little bit more buffer. That's one thing. Um, even if we want to want to continue with aggressive time plans and goals, I still think it is uh, important to have enough buffer, especially for the shipping uh, shipping topics. Um, and we will also rethink some of our partnerships because, <laughs> honestly, we have been a bit naive here because we believe that if we worked with some experienced fulfillment partners we could hand over that entire topic and no longer would have to do worry about anything uh, with regards to shipping and that's absolutely not true <laughs> so if you if you plan with a kickstarter campaign definitely dedicate some time for handling the fulfillment even have if you have Uh, a very experienced partner even if you pay premium prices you will have to do a lot of work yourself um, for us that mean or for me personally that meant i spent most of my working hours in entire 2022 for fulfilling 
this campaign. Um, and of course, this is not something you you dream about when you think about <laughs> becoming a game designer, right? I was thinking about, oh, I'm sitting there and creating these awesome new games and these new game mechanics and new card ideas. And in the end, I was sitting there, um, yeah, handling a uh, customs uh, declaration, page 712 uh, for for getting the goods uh, shipped to China, for example. So that's um, something you need to know if you want to handle that um, yourself. Um, yeah, but for the future, we now have taken over most of the fulfillment um, ourselves. So we have a, um, our own warehouse in the meantime where all the Mindbug games are stored and... Um, where we can send to the almost the entire world from from Germany um, if you order via our webshop. But for the next campaign, we will see how we will handle it there. So it might make sense to work with fulfillment partners again. Um, it really depends on many different aspects. It depends on the size of your product, the um, the value of your product, because if it's more than like 150 euro or so, um, it, it is uh, difficult to ship it to to um, to other countries outside of your region um, and you might need a fulfillment uh, a local fulfillment provider so there are a lot of things to consider um, my advice here would be take the time talk to specialists but uh, don't underestimate the time you will spend on this topic i think this is what every uh, game creator is uh, super scared of because you know these we are creative people and not necessarily people experts on uh, shipping and logistics yeah and i can totally see destroying this destroying a complete a complete campaign and company behind the campaign i mean consider if you ship like twelve thousand games or so um, like you have to pay i don't know even just two euro more or five euro more on each uh, on each shipment like something that can easily happen super super easily can that happen um, and this can can kill your complete margin yeah, like if the game becomes a bit heavier so it goes into the next shipping tier yeah for example or i mean i can give you i can give you a very a very hands-on example yeah um our um the upgrade pack it didn't have a barcode printed on it and uh, that is a problem <laughs> for some warehouses that use barcode scanning um, in their process of um, packa packaging and sending out products so If you have a partner that requires a barcode, for example, and you don't have one, they will need to print out barcodes and put it onto the products before they can handle them. And this costs a lot of money per product. And this is just one of the um, one one cost factor that wasn't planned in the beginning, and there are multiple of those. So there's a lot of things that. Uh, and risks that can go wrong in this whole fulfillment process. Um, and that brings me to the next point, the uh, shipping costs. Yeah, because it goes somewhere, somewhat hand in hand with that. Um, there's one thing I can say. I hate shipping costs. I hate them. I really hate them. <laughs> um, and I think from the very beginning, we thought that the shipping costs in our campaign were pretty high. Um, yeah, actually, when we originally came up with the game, We wanted to have a game that is small in a nice little tuck box that you can ship very cheaply to the whole world. I mean, that was sort of one of our goals. Um, but if I recall correctly, we found out that to, to achieve that, we needed to limit ourselves to something like 30 cards or something. Is that yeah. correctly remembered? That's Robert? correct, yes. And um, 
and we just felt that the game was so much better with with 50 cards. And for the Kickstarter, we even wanted to do the, the upgrade pack, which had even more cards. So, uh, so all this uh, nice thinking went out the window. Yeah, and um, yeah, one could think that we earned something from the shipping costs we charged, but on the contrary, that's not true. Um, the actual costs were even higher than what we charged. Um, but we decided to keep the shipping costs um, we mentioned in the campaign because we didn't want to raise, raise them. Um, but I've seen other campaigns in the meantime that had to raise their shipping costs. Um, I mean, the companies raised their costs, and if you have a, a much bigger product than ours, this can have a huge impact on your campaign. Um, so that you have to ask your backers for additional shipping costs, which is, of course, I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. Ah, that's <laughs> um, no fun. Yeah, it's definitely no fun. Um, and I mean, I I have to say that all the costs that these uh, companies, the fulfillment providers charge is is a lot. They charge for every pick they make. So if your product com uh, consists of multiple different uh, um, components, it it can get quite expensive to get them handled. So like right. if you have the base game and these two expansions and the extra promo card and this little pack and this figure and these extra yeah. dice. Yeah, and if you have a lot of different um, different products, like, I don't know, I'm just making something up, like we don't have that, but like a T-shirt in size S in color green. Yeah, And you yeah. have also like M, L, XL in red, pink, and purple whatsoever. Um, that that can increase the costs for uh, fulfillment a lot. That so, makes sense. I mean, we tried to keep it as simple as possible from the very beginning, and nevertheless, it became <laughs> super complex in the end. So uh, we totally I don't, failed that. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be in the shoes of someone who has a game with like 500 components or so, and people can um, customize the, it as much as they want during the campaign. This is uh, yeah, like 20 you, different uh, add-ons. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so um, we hate shipping costs. Unfortunately, there is not so much we can do about it. Um, we have tried to um, yeah, create our own warehouse now and create our own processes here and hire our own people for that. We hope to be able to, um, to reduce the costs here a little bit, but since the shipping companies have raised their costs for log logistics, um, we don't know where we will end up, but... Um, it still is something I think we can we can improve. Yeah, one reason this hit us a bit hard is also because we have a small game. So it sounds weird, but when you have a game this size, uh, like if the game costs uh, 25 euros and it costs 10 euros to ship it, that's quite a big percentage of the game, which is uh, and a lot of our potential customers didn't like seeing that. Um, yeah. which and, we totally and that understand. is why... We that is why we uh, decided to raise the product price to 250 euro now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so one strategy that I think we're going to employ to fight this a bit is to sort of offer a bit more at one time. So, for example, let's say we had offered the game along with an expansion. So it would be twice the cost and twice the content. Um, but then hopefully the shipping price wouldn't be twice as much. Um, so this is one thing you can think about sort of landing in a nice tier for shipping. Yeah, I think one thing that we did during the campaign that was um, uh, a countermeasure that was um, creating these group pledges. Yes. And a lot of, a lot of people really um, 
gathered and um, use the group pledge. I think that's super important. If you if you have uh, if you want to ship your games to um, destinations that are far away from you, like I don't know, for us this was Canada, Australia, China, and um, and so on, where we had to charge a lot of shipping costs. I think um, a lot, most most group letters came from those areas, of course, because they had the most benefit from it. Yeah, so um, we offered something like four copies of the game at a small discount. Yeah, you got a small discount for buying four games, um, and you only had to pay pay, uh, pay shipping costs um, once. So um, in the end, it was uh, a good discount for the for the product. Um, yeah, and it probably also helped us make more sales. So, uh, so I saw in local uh, Facebook groups some people sharing like, uh, oh, we have we are two people want to do this group pledge for Mindbug. Is there two other players who are interested? And it made some more people look. Oh, hey, what's this Mindbug stuff? And uh, some of them thought, yeah, it's super interesting. So we ended up selling a few more copies because of this. Yeah. So that's something that I would recommend for everyone. Um, since shipping is a pain, really try to encourage people to order in groups. Good point. Yeah. So <laughs> another thing that was really, really painful for us um, that didn't went too well is the translation um, of the game. So we decided to, I don't, I have no idea why we did that, but we decided to um, publish the game in six languages. <laughs> I know why first, we did first it. Product, uh, first product, so we, let's, uh, we want to keep it simple. Ah, nah, come on, let's do it in six languages. You know, at, at, we sold the game at Essen, this first Essen, we only had it in English, and I saw so many people, you know, from Italy or Spain or France, uh, and they were, like, so passionate about it. They really wanted to have the game in their native language. Um, so, of course, we thought they should have that, but it turned out to also come at a price. Yeah, so um, it, in retrospect, it was probably not the best decision to um, start with six languages. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think at least two of the six languages probably are still loss-making uh, today. So um, overall, I would probably know, not start with six languages again. Um However, I think it, the process of translating those went okay. So we had we asked the community to help us with the translation, and I think I was really impressed by how well that worked. Um, and we also had a professional agency um, to translate it. Um, and my experience here was that if it comes to something like creature names for example um, and in mindbug we have very um, let's say creative names sometimes puns or so and it's very different for one translator um, to come up with like 30 good names for creatures um, so the results for the proposed names of the community have been much better than what we have received from the agency um, yeah but nevertheless the amount of work um, with the translation is something we definitely underestimated. And um, it's not only translating it once, it's also proofreading. It means the graphic designer has uh, six times the work. Um, you have to pay um, much more for the production because they, you, you pay for every plate change with the offset printing. So 
consider carefully if you want to add multiple languages to your to your product if you run a Kickstarter campaign. And especially for this kind of game, which is, I mean, like the language in this kind of, it's not a trading card game, but it has some of those same properties of, it's kind of technical and it's very important that you always use the same terms for the same thing. Like if you sometimes say uh, discard a card and sometimes say you put away the card, um, that can that can give you problems in the future. Um, so so for all these languages, you have to be quite uh, meticulous in checking that everything is really being referenced uh, correctly and consistently. And this yeah. is a lot of work, and it's of course also error prone. Absolutely, and um, yeah, you mentioned it. It's error prone and. Yeah, we did a we did a mistake in, on one of our German cards, um, where we missed one word on the card, and let's say thirty proofreaders didn't see it, at least thirty, because the sentence on the card made total sense without that word. Um, it it's just missing the word enemy, so it affects all creatures and not only the enemy creatures. Um, so that. One word costs us several thousands of euros in the end, because we had to. Uh, we decided to replace the card and send it to a lot of people who already received the original game, and that was very, very annoying. Um, but yeah, definitely. That's that's what you don't want to happen, right? And you know, for some things, it might be uh, it might be less bad, but for this card, the new wording it. it it did something different in a very important way every time you played it. So it was not, I mean, it was very hard to just ignore the mistake. Yeah. So we decided to reprint it and resend it to the customers. And then we found out, Oh no, the new version is a little bit bigger than the old cards. Um, that was very, very annoying to find out. Um, we we spent so much money and put so much effort into getting the corrected card to the backers, and then we found out that it is slightly larger than the other cards. Um, it is it is painful, um, but yeah, in the end, we learned a little bit of, uh, or learned something from it, and um, yeah, we'll make sure that this won't happen in the in the in the future. And stuff like this is just a little bit more likely to happen when working with so many different languages, especially ones that are not your native language. Uh, in this case, it was my native language, <laughs> <laughs> which is very embarrassing for myself, I know. Uh, I can't help you there. There's no Danish version. Yeah. Okay, so that's about uh, translation. Um, then, yeah, there was was something else with regards to exclusiveness. So um, on Kickstarter, um, backers are really keen on getting something that's exclusive, something that uh, uh, only they have access to. And we underestimated that a little bit, to be honest. Um, we can understand that, but uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about the few of our viewpoint that we had when we created Mindbug. Um, do you want to take that, Christian, or do you want me to talk yeah, about sure. it? Yeah, sure. No, no, I'll take it. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a classic dilemma. So if you want to run a successful Kickstarter, it's, of course, very nice to say, oh, and uh, this pack of special cards will only be for you guys. We'll never sell that to anyone else. 
and that works very well in the short term. You get some more interest. There's a good reason for people to back it. Uh, the game is likely to hold its price for them reselling it on the secondary market. But on the contrary, it kind of sucks for the people who discover Mindbug uh, one year later or two years later. And there's like, oh, and there's these special cards that uh, I cannot uh, buy in the store. I mean, maybe I can find them ex- very expensive on the secondary market, but there's not really enough to go around. Um, so we decided to go the route of we want to make all the cards available to to anyone, um, but of course that that makes it harder to for us to sell the game on Kickstarter. That we cannot say, look, we have this exclusive thing that you will not be able to buy later. We cannot really use that uh, fear of missing out in the same way. Um, so we think it's sort of the uh, a good route to go, you know, to to make player friendly to not have these exclusive things to also ensure that fewer players can get the cards um but but the downside is that it's it's harder to argue why you know why people uh, really have to get your game now because they can never get it later um, if you don't have any exclusives and we have received really really good suggestions and feedback from from our backers on how to how to tackle this in the future um and Some of the examples were that uh, uh, we could do, let's say, alternative art on a card, for example, or a foil version of the card or something like that, that other people would still be able to get the the card in the future, but it would look a little bit different. So they would get their exclusive card, but from the gaming perspective, from the gameplay perspective, um, everyone else would be um, would be able to play the game in the future. Yeah, so it would do exactly the same? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is, a, this is a very interesting route to go, that sort of a compromise that you can get something exclusive, but the function of it is not exclusive, just how it looks. Yeah. And we are now in a position where we are willing to explore those um, ideas a bit more. Um, since this was our first Kickstarter campaign and our first uh, steps with producing games in general, we were a bit hesitant to explore too many different directions at once because we wanted to deliver the game um, relatively quickly and wanted to make sure that we have as few pitfalls as possible. Um, and that's why we um yeah, why we didn't want to have too many different things going on at that time yeah definitely um i feel like we wanted to talk mostly about the, the positive stuff but we ended up spending most of the time talking about the negative stuff here yeah i mean that's good we learned from it but if it, it costs a lot of pain so we will definitely do everything we can to um to have not the same pain points in the future um i think there's one thing we need to tackle that's probably the last one here on the list uh and that's the black box Ooh, that's a uh, big, big topic <laughs> yeah it's a big box uh, a big topic um also a big box um it was the i to be honest i think it was it the box was just cursed from the very beginning <laughs> so everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with with this box um, so maybe to go back a bit if some listeners are not sure what it is so when we made the game originally for essen the game it has like 52 cards so it fits in a nice chuck box that you also use for playing cards um, and it's a nice compact package. We liked it because it's easy for you to, to take it anywhere. Um, so one point of criticism we had that some people like to sleeve their cards, which is, of course, natural. 
Uh, and if you sleeved it, the card become a bit thicker, so they didn't fit in the box anymore. So we had to make, so we made this black box, which was a new tuck box, which was like twice as thick. Um, and that is fine, but when it becomes that thick, the kind of the stability of the box is not quite as nice. Um, so this was already, yeah, it was it was like the, the the big brother version that was a little bit weird. Yeah, I think we wanted. I, I think we we wanted to put all the customer requests we got for the box. We wanted to put that into one product. And maybe that and, was our mistake. Yeah, and that we. I think at this point we said yes one or two many times. So we didn't only double the size of the box for the to get the cards uh, to fit the sleeved cards. Then someone said, "Oh, it would be cool if the upgrade pack cards would also go in there." Yeah. So it became even bigger. Um, and so at that point, we probably should have just switched to a normal box. Yes, we definitely we should have done that. Um, and we have tried that later. But in the beginning of the campaign, we said, oh, people want something that's um, a bit uh, unique. Um, so let's, let's, let's make a unique number on the box. So that would yes. be cool. Um, we already have uh, our, our manufacturer for that, and that's pretty cool. So um, he can do that. We check that. Let's do a unique number on the box. That's kind of special. That's, that's Kickstarter-like. Yeah. And um, yeah, we wrote that into the pledges. And then we we made these adjustments with the size of the box. And at some point in time, we, we realized, so, oh, the box, it might be better to, to have a staple box instead. But our manufacturing partner uh, didn't wasn't able to have uh, to produce a, a more stable box. We already chose the the biggest uh, um, the, the the thickest paper they had, and they were not able to do to print unique numbers on a thick cardboard. They just didn't have the machines for that, and um, yeah, that's why we um, thought okay those numbers have to go the the thicker box will be a better product for the customer in the end and um yeah this is when we almost ran into um ran into a, a shitstorm in the campaign during the campaign i think this um, was the, the closest we got to feeling like a shitstorm absolutely so um we so we made the proposal to the to the community and we were expecting like uh, 99% of people super happy, raving. Yeah, we get a better box for uh, for free. We don't have to pay extra for it. It's super cool. Thank you so much. That, that, that was, was our expectation. I, I promised you that like 95% would vote for it. Yeah. And then we had like 50-50 um, and both um <laughs> both 50% were really unhappy yeah maybe it's like slightly more than half that want the box so we, they were like oh we are the majority so why don't we so we should get the yeah. you know it should be done that way but on the I, other hand the other thing was like what we promised the people this was the very last days of the campaign and this would change it into something that they were unhappy with so it was a really a lose lose situation yeah it was a lose lose situation and I, it's strange how we ended up there because we only tried to make the best product and fulfill the most customer uh, wishes. Um, make everyone happy. Yeah, make everyone happy. And at some point in time, we had uh, like uh, product requirements that no one really made happy in the end. Yeah. So that was that was something that is uh, a, a lesson that we definitely learned. So it, you should never change 
a pledge or a product that you have promised to people. So even if we thought we thought okay, this this unique number is just a a, a nice add-on and no one really cares about it. Really, um, it turned out that some people really cared about it and that oh, this is the only reason why I backed this project. We got comments like that. Um, yes. and um, it's super difficult to take away from someone um, if you promised it so it you is, should uh, and I understand that I mean I understand if it's you know this is someone saw that and thought oh this is the coolest thing ever I want that and then suddenly they are having this poll and trying to, to take it away of course it gives a, a negative response yeah so um, be very careful and thoughtful about your product and pledge levels. And if you want to change something, make it as an optional add-on and uh, don't try to change anything that you promised before. Yeah, and, and just I mean, just to clarify, we are not blaming the backers for any of this because, of course, people will have different uh, opinions that they will be very passionate about, and that's totally reasonable. So this is, of course, the, entirely the, the fault on us for trying to, to satisfy too many people rather than having like a clear vision in the first place. Absolutely. So that's totally on us, this one. <laughs> and um, I mean, on that's also maybe uh, an advice here. So you will get a lot of responses during a Kickstarter campaign, a lot of comments, but they don't always represent the majority of your product. Yeah, or definitely. Your so some people are very active um, and their feedback is super welcome, and you can um, you can talk to them, and they will you will get a lot of uh, benefit from listening to them. But don't make the mistake to think that they represent the majority of all your backers, because most of your backers will be quiet, they will be silent, they will back the product and forget about it until they receive it. Yeah. Um, so for for Mindbug, yeah. just for the numbers, so we had like ten thousand backers. And at this point, even after delivery, we have 2,400 comments. So think about that. So yeah, it's but like one in every four people that wrote a comment. And that's in the case where each person wrote one comment. But we know in reality that the people who enjoy the comments, who like it there, they write maybe 20 comments in a campaign. So the number of people writing comments is actually very small. Compared and the to number, the number probably of also contains our responses. Uh, yeah, yeah, it also contains our responses, definitely. So it's so it can be quite misleading, you know. If you see twenty angry comments in there, you think, "Oh, this is uh, what everyone thinks," um, but it's not necessarily clear. Yeah, but yeah, that wasn't all that went wrong with the box. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. just where it started. <laughs> um, the first thing that happened thereafter is um, it was produced incorrectly. Okay, so maybe we should say so. So at the end, we decided to stick with the original plan. Yes, do this uh, big chalk box with a number on it that was. Maybe a little bit wobbly. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, then it was pr produced incorrectly. So it was, uh, it has had the opening on the wrong side and it was uh, really unstable. It was really unstable. Um, and it was not how we, um, how we wanted it to be. So um, as a result, we, it, it delayed, it delayed uh, the shipping and the final manufacturing of the product quite a bit. Um, and since we had to reprint it, then we decided to yeah to send the the other components to the to the local hubs um, separately. So and once the box were finished, we sent them via Express to the different hubs in the world, which again costs us a lot of unplanned money. Yeah, to do that. Um, so that was the second 
part of this uh, this problem. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, we really in the after afterwards we really regret not putting more effort into thinking about the box from the very beginning. So that's something we should have should have done, and that's what we mentioned before. Be very clear about about your about your product. And the last thing that happened then with the box is um, we we couldn't we couldn't send it uh, assembled because um, there was a lot of space in there to fit sleeved cards. But if you only put normal cards in there and you send it, the box will break because there is just air in it yeah um and that's why we send it unassembled and that also wasn't too easy to send it um in a way so that it gets undamaged to to you to the customer and uh, yeah that caused a lot of headache on how to how to ship it and i think it cost at least packaging it was like at one minute or so to for to each product to ah. pack it it in a way so that it doesn't get damaged so all this if you count this also this costs again a lot of uh, money for for the people who had to take care of that so yeah it was a it was a, a big pain with all the boxes <laughs> imagine if we had just never talked about what the box would look like then we could just do what we wanted yeah that's true <laughs> i don't know where but, but then, you, but then we would we would probably have like 10,000 people with 10,000 different opinions of the box and 9,999 would complain afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It could be. could be. Yeah, so... Yeah. It's very tricky getting stuff right. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, it, it absolutely is. And um, But in the end, if I would have to choose between a, a very good game and a very good box, I would still choose the very good game because that's <laughs> that's even more important, I think. However, we know now that um, all the other stuff around is also very important to our to our customers, and uh, we spend um, nowadays more effort and more time to making a making the box better. Yeah, and in the end, uh, I mean, having delivered the game, and so I really enjoy also getting feedback. So I read still uh, at this point almost daily. I look at the board game geek, uh, what comments people wrote for the games, the rankings, and. To be honest, I very rarely see mentions of the box. So even though we are not super happy with how it turned out, and for some people it was like a very important topic during the Kickstarter, it seems that at this point no one cares that much about the box. Yeah. And this okay. can also happen during a Kickstarter, you know, that some element gets attention and for everyone it's suddenly the most important thing, but that's not necessarily what's the most important after the game is delivered. Yeah, and overall, I think the campaign was a great success. Um, and um, even with all the challenges and unplanned events, which are also kind of normal, um, I'm I'm quite happy um, with the result that we delivered the game um, to all our backers in the entire world, and that. We get a lot of great feedback. People enjoy the game. We get a lot of questions about uh, future expansions. And um, the number one thing I have personally learned during the campaign is um, be as transparent as possible. Because um, the backers that I have um, get to know, they are really forgiving and understanding that 
all projects have kind of unplanned challenges on their way. And if you if you be transparent with them and tell them what you are working on, why why you have a delay, um, or why you need to make certain adjustments, most of them are understanding it. Yeah, I definitely think so. The, the worst thing for beggars is just like if there's radio silence, no updates, and they're not hearing anything. I think even I've seen some campaigns that have several years delays. Um, but you know, it helps a lot as a customer. I also try this as a backer. If you understand like why it's happening and what went wrong, um, yeah, it helps you empathize with the person behind it all because it's also not fun for the creator to have these kinds of delays. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's everything that I wanted to mention today. Do you have anything else, Christian, mm, with regards I... to the last year? So maybe uh, could we do like a small teaser for what's coming up? Absolutely. Mindbug-wise. So do you want to tell something about the uh, our plans with the expansion? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we plan to uh, this year to uh, launch a campaign during the, the first half of the year, another Kickstarter campaign. We're offering more Mindbug content. Um, we're still working on it, so maybe we shouldn't be too detailed on what it is. But a bunch of new cards so for people who like playing the game to have a, a lot more variety in your games. Yeah, and I'm really excited about it. So we have been playtesting different mechanics, uh, new cards, exciting effects. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to, to all of your feedback um, to, the, to the new cards. Yeah, I really love seeing people's reaction. And, you know, I love trying to come up with a card that will make people read it and it'll be like, no way, you can't do this. And uh, yeah. then, of course, the trick is to actually get it to work, also work well. So I'm. I think we've done tried some quite cool things uh, coming up. So look, really looking forward to seeing how the how the community will will accept it. Absolutely, and um, yeah, maybe another another thing that we have been working on. We have mentioned it before on the show is the digital version. Yes. Yeah, and we received uh, received a funding uh, from German state for for developing the the prototype of the game. And that is what our team is currently currently working on. We will start a, um, a closed uh, beta phase, uh, definitely during this year. We don't have the exact starting date for it yet, and there will be another announcement once we know it. Um, but uh, I'm really, really excited about the digital game as well, because uh, it allows you to play more Mindbug on your phone whenever you want to. Yeah, that's going to be so much fun. Okay, then, yeah, thank you for being a guest on the podcast again, Christian. I hope we oh, can, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I hope we can uh, repeat that uh, more frequently from now on. Yeah, definitely. And um, to, to everyone else, I wish you a great start to 2023. Um, may all your uh, dreams and wishes come true this year. And um, until next time, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss. Goodbye. Goodbye.